I lived in Virginia for university. Uh, like many time, uh, like many people who spent time abroad, uh, there are familiar comforts of home that you miss in your time away. And that was no exception for myself. Uh, we get homesick when we think and remember of those familiar comforts that are out of reach. There are tender comforts that we can enjoy and that we were made to enjoy in relationship with God that are a blessing and a balm and soothing to our soul when we are near to him. But as you've experienced, I'm sure like I have, when we find ourselves stuck in sin, those familiar comforts can feel far away. God's people in Isaiah 40 needed comfort. They needed comfort because of the distressing pains of the news that they heard in Isaiah 39. In Isaiah 39, the prophet spoke to the king and said that in just one generation, an evil tyrant from another country would come and make his own sons, who were princes, into paupers. And they would take the treasures of the storehouse of Israel and ravage them and bring them into the treasures of Babylon. And the people of God who were promised the land in Canaan would be brought into exile into a foreign land. The people of God needed comfort because they found themselves in the distressing pain of their own iniquity and their own sin. How do we find comfort when we are stuck in the distressing pains of our own sin? Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 11, is good news for those distressed in the pains of our own sin. It's good news that invites us to behold your God of comfort. Isaiah 40 verse 1 to 11 is a call for us to enjoy it, to draw near to it when we feel far from it. Here's the hope that we have today from Isaiah 40. God's tender comfort is secured for you because of his great mercy. God's tender comfort is secured for you even when you are in the midst of the distressing pains of your own sin and it's secured because of his great mercy. First, Isaiah 40 is going to show us the true beautiful nature of God's tender comfort. Then it will show us how to respond to his great mercy so that we can enjoy it. So what is the true nature of the tender comfort of God? Verse 1 and verse 2 says this. Look at Isaiah 40 with me. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she is received from Yahweh's hands double for all her sins. There's a 
many layers here that describe the beautiful, tender comfort of God. But in order to be able to understand it, I want to compare what God offers us in his tender comfort from what I think we readily more understand in the comfort that we get from a relationship with a loved one. Think about this. Think about a relationship that you have who is a source of comfort for you. My wife and I often need to remind ourselves, especially in times where we might find like we're a little agitated, just like, okay, why do we actually love each other? And one of the things that she will say to me is like, because you're my safe place. And what I will tell her is because your warmth is my home. When we are near to loved ones, there is a trust, there is a security, there is a warmth that we have. So that even when you find yourself in distressing pain, there's that person who sends you that timely text. Or there's that individual who can look right into you and breathe new life into your wearied lungs, even without a word. Or even your kids who you think don't know what you're going through, but who do and will come give you just that hug when you didn't know you realized it. That kind of comfort that we have, we have because we love one another, because we trust one another, because we have a special and unique relationship with each other. But when we wrong one another, we might need to be reminded of the true relationship we have with that individual, because when we wrong one another, we don't feel that nearness and that warmth. We feel a little distant. We feel a little cold. But when we make wrongs right and we come back together, we no longer feel distant. We no longer feel cold. But because of the nature of that special relationship that you have with that person, you don't feel cold and distant. You feel near. You feel warm. You feel comforted. So that in those times of distress, you know you can go there and you will receive the comfort that you need. Israel had a special, unique relationship with God by merit of the covenant that he made with the father of that nation, Israel. God chose Israel, of all people on all of the earth, to be his chosen people. He called them his treasured possession. He said he had a love for them that is as high as the heavens were above the earth. And because of that love, they could enjoy comfort with their unseen, invisible, creator, eternal God. But they found themselves here, being told that in one generation, you're being sent into exile. Cold, distant, they found themselves there because they betrayed their unique special relationship with God. He was their God, but they were turning to false idols. They betrayed the covenant with God by their iniquity, by their sin of idol worship. So rather than enjoying the comfort of a near and warm relationship, chosen people, treasured possession, loved beyond what you can comprehend, they found themselves rather at war with the one who was supposed to be a husband, and a father. They found themselves in iniquity and guilty 
before one who was now relating to them only as a judge. They found themselves needing to be released from their sins. They found themselves indebted to God like he was a creditor rather than a king or a friend. So rather than enjoying the comfort of the special and unique relationship because they betrayed God, cold, distant, God was now an enemy, God was a judge, God was a creditor. And I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling like I'm having a bad day, I'm not calling customer service at MasterCard to come and make me feel better. I want to find the comfort of a trusting, safe, loving, special and unique relationship with God. Yet, even though that's where they were, because of their own sin, God still turns to them and says, comfort my people. They betrayed him. They acted as enemies. They were criminals. They were indebted, but he still calls them my people. He still says, speak tenderly. Even though they were faithless to God, he was faithful to them. How would he do this though? Because we know in relationships with others, when we hurt one another, when we're hurt by someone that we want to feel secure with and that we want to trust, when we're hurt by people that should be comforting us, we don't want to overlook that. We shouldn't overlook that. We should make things right. It would be wrong to just overlook. I don't want to overlook someone who's clearly done something that has hurt me deeply. God's no different. We are sinful. We are prejudicial. God is unbiased. God is impartial. So if they've wronged God so severely that they're enemy acting like enemies of him, that they're criminals before him, that they're indebted to him, how, how does God take them from cold and distant to near and warm again? It's because of his mercy. The tender comfort of God is secured in his Mercy. The consequence for our sin needs to be absorbed in some manner. For these people, for Israel, they would justly experience the consequence of exile. But it wasn't over. They would be, future generations would be restored into the fullness of that special relationship with God. But even once they came back to the promised land, the people of God were still faithless to the covenant. They needed something better. They needed something final. They needed something eternally secure. And this is why Jesus sent his son. Because Israel was always faithless to the covenant. They needed a person to come who would live under the law, who would be true to the covenant, and who could stand in our place on our behalf. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the true human. Jesus is the perfect Jew who fully obeyed all the righteous requirements of the law. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed once and for all 
to take the punishment for our sin. This is the mercy of God for you. Because we will always be faithless, but Christ was perfectly faithful. We deserve to face the wrath of God, to be cast out, but Christ was sent out of the city and suffered our guilt and suffered our shame when he died on the cross. See, this is the great mercy of God. Grace is, grace is the lavish kindness of God extended to us, which we don't deserve. Mercy is the gentle restraint of what we have earned and justly do deserve. And what we deserve is God's wrath. But it was placed on Christ so that you could be freed from it. So that even though you are a guilty criminal, even though you are indebted to God, even though you do act as an enemy of him, and so do I, God does not look at you that way. Can you see yourself, Christian, the way that the Father sees you as an object of his mercy? God's tender comfort is secured for you because of his great mercy. Friend, believe that Jesus suffered in your place and you will be changed from an enemy to a friend, from a criminal to one who is free, to one who, from one who is in debt to one who is a beloved child. Believe on Christ and you can have the security of God's tender comfort. You can have that special relationship. You can know that when you draw near to him, he will accept you. You will have that love. God's tender comfort is secured for you because of his great mercy. But even though it's secure, it's not uncommon that we lack assurance of it. I know that I can. Like the prodigal son who ran away from his father and found himself in such shame in a pig pen that he thought maybe the only way I could be received back by my father is if he hired me as a slave but there's no way he could actually receive me as his own blood son again. God's tender comfort is secured by his great mercy, but like the prodigal son, we can lack the assurance of his tender comfort. We can doubt that he will actually look at us as a son or a daughter and think that maybe at best, I don't know, I'll just be like a work associate of God. If we want to enjoy the assurance, how then should we live? We have the security, but what do I need to do? How do we live in this special relationship with God so that I can enjoy the insurance and experience the warmth and the nearness of the tender comfort? The rest of the passage describes three ways that we need to live in light of his mercy. And the first is this. Be holy. Be holy. Look at verse three to five. It says, a voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see how there's the nearness that's happening? There are things in the way of Yahweh being with his people. Valleys, mountains, uneven ground, rough places. There are things in the way But God wants to draw near. God wants to come back. What are these obstacles that are in their way? Well, in in order to understand this, it's helpful to be able to see how this passage was fulfilled. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You can answer out loud, who in the New Testament in each of the Gospels do we see embody this voice? The person in the wilderness calling, prepare the way of the Lord. Who is that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the embodiment of this voice who called out to the people in Jesus' generation to prepare the way of the Lord. And what was the summary? If you could put it into one word, you can answer out loud again. What was John's message to that generation? Repent. Thank you, John. (laughs) Repent. Repentance is a reorientation. When we recognize that the desires of my heart, the thoughts of my mind, and the conduct of my lifestyle is misaligned with God's will, God's word, and God's command, we need to turn back. We need to turn away from our crooked desires of our hearts, from the deceitful thoughts of our mind, from the foolish ways that we live. And we need to turn back to God's word, God's will, God's ways. And a life of repentance is to choose a life of holiness. A life that's set apart from how we would see is the normal manner of life in our culture. Because I know I've been called out of that culture to live set apart holy unto the one who's redeemed me. Be holy. So how does repentance happen? Well, these, the, the, uh, the valleys, the mountains, the uneven ground, these are the obstacles in our lives that would keep God from, and us from being able to draw near to God and would keep God as a distance from us. What are the obstacles in your life that keep you from drawing near to the warmth and love of that special and unique relationship with God? What are the obstacles in your life? Whatever it might be, your compulsive behaviors, your secret pleasures, the fears that control and dominate your heart and mind, the arrogant pride that looks down at others and thinks that you're something better than others, whatever it might be, level it down. Whatever value add you think it will give to you, it will keep you at a distance from your Lord it will keep you from drawing nearer and closer to the one who has shown you mercy, 
God's tender comfort is secured through his great mercy. So be holy. So so what prevents us from leveling down these sinful obstacles in our life that would allow us to draw near to the God who loves us? I can think of a couple reasons. I think one of them might be fear of pain. We know what's in our heart. We know the sinful, unholy things that prevent us from drawing near to God. But we'd rather avoid it because we don't want to see it. Because we know how ugly it is. We know how shameful it is. We know how much work it will take to actually be holy, to actually repent, to actually make things right that we've done wrong. And that hurts. So I avoid it. But to those of you who may be making that choice, I'd remind you what scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12. And as best as I can, I would try to remind you tenderly with comfort. Hebrews 12 verse 5 to 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son with whom he receives. That pain that you feel when that sin is exposed is God's loving discipline of a God who wants you to turn from what cannot satisfy you so you can draw near to the one who loves you. Don't regard it lightly. Don't turn from the pain To the one who is trained by it, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Trust that that pain is an expression of your father's love for you to make you holy so you can experience his comfort. Don't avoid the pain of exposed sin. I think another reason is just willful stubbornness. You want these unholy desires. You enjoy what you know God hates. And to that, I would say your willful stubbornness is foolish. You think that this will provide your happiness. If happiness is the flower in the bud, holiness is the flower, excuse me, I said that the wrong way. If happiness is the flower in bloom, holiness is the flower in the bud. Your happiness blooms out of your holiness. So your choice to willfully and stubbornly persist in the behaviors which you know God hates will limit and stunt the joy of your heart. As often you may have heard before, C.S. Lewis says that choosing to wallow in this sin, thinking that this is the best happiness that I can have, is like a child choosing to play in the mud because they can't comprehend what is offered to them by a vacation at the beach. God's tender comfort is secured in his 
great mercy. You're forgiven of that. God's wrath is removed for you of that. Why would you continue to return like a dog to his vomit? God's tender comfort is secured in his great mercy. You may doubt it. It may feel distant, but we can experience and be assured of it when we choose to be holy and when we choose to be humble. God's tender comfort is secured in his great mercy. So choose to be holy and choose to be humble. The passage continues, verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord, Yahweh, blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Notice how there's several voices that are crying out. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly and cry to her. So there's Isaiah crying. Then verse 3, another voice cries. Then verse 6, another voice says, cry. It seems like God, Isaiah sees this vision of God and God is telling Isaiah what to speak and what to say. But there are other voices in this vision that Isaiah sees. It's possible that Isaiah sees God and the divine counsel, a a, um, consortment of angelic beings that God would speak in dialogue with like we see in the book of Job. And God tells them speak Uh, speak comfort to my people. Another voice cries out, prepare the way, be holy. Then this third voice tells to Isaiah, cry. And Isaiah's like, okay, now what what should I cry? And this third voice, is this kind of like skeptical? This voice of skepticism? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Surely the people are grass. So this third voice kind of calls out and is like, okay, we're, for, we're crying out that they need to be holy. They need to remove the ox, obstacles. But I'm looking at them and I'm just like, I don't know if they can. They need to be holy. They need to be true to the covenant. They need to be faithful to the special relationship that they have with God being holy. But I'm not sure if they can because I know what people are like. People are like grass. People are like flowers. Oh, I, we had a gift exchange in my small group over this past Christmas season. It was a white elephant Chris, gift exchange. People do different rules when they do white elephant. It's just like a good joke gift exchange. I made the rules for this, for, and I've done this type of thing before. It was lots of fun. You don't know who brings what. Nothing is labeled. And there's no like gift limit. It's you're supposed to bring something from around your home that you don't have use anymore that maybe someone else will make use of. And you usually get a few chuckles out of it. And... Uh, my wife got a houseplant, which was really convenient because our previous houseplant just died. <laughs> and I don't know who gave that houseplant to us from our small group, but I'm sorry to say that it's gone the way of our previous houseplant already. <laughs> we went away for a few days to my parents' cottage, and we came back, and it's like brown and yellow. I'm like, oh, whoops. This voice of skepticism looks and sees they're supposed to be holy. I don't think they can do it because I know what people are really like. And the best of the best of faithful people are about 
as inconsistent as a houseplant that's been neglected or expired flowers you get from the supermarket. That's you. That's me. We are called to be holy. But the best of men are still just men at best. We try to convince ourselves that by my willpower, by my strength, by my religious devotion, I am stainless steel. That it can endure any fire and still be durable. I am cast iron. I can last, my holiness can last generation to generations. But in reality, we are about as fair weathered as what we saw fall from the sky over the past eight days. Changing back and forth, up and down. You are grass, and so am I. We fade and wither. Be humble, church. If the best of human nature is inconsistent and sinful as this, What's going to actually sustain us in a life of holiness? What's going to actually keep us close into this unique relationship with God? Our holiness will be sustained in a heart of humility that doesn't rely on itself, but relies on the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's tender comfort is secured in his mercy. So be holy and your holiness will be sustained and the humility to acknowledge that I don't have enough in myself. I don't, can't have the vitality in myself. If I'm gonna have a liveliness that can be obedient to the word of God, then I need to be animated by God's word itself. I need to make Isaiah 66 verse two my anthem. Scripture says in Isaiah 66, verse 2, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. There are many things that you can do to start off 2023 well. None of them will be as good for your soul as choosing to be the woman and the man who delights themselves in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. To be the father who says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his word. To be the woman of grace that clothes herself in the righteousness of the scriptures. This, a transformed, renewed mind, is the thing that will inspire a life of holiness, that will keep us near to the warmth of the tender comfort of God that is secured in his mercy. The distressing pains of sin hurt, but God's tender comfort is secured in his mercy. So choose, choose to be holy. Choose to be humble and then Choose to be hopeful. When you get to verse nine, we see another voice cry out. And this isn't God. This isn't the divine counsel. This isn't the prophet. This is the people who first hear the word of comfort themselves. 
Look in verse 1. Who is the object? Who is the audience who hears this word of comfort? It says, speak tenderly to, who is it in verse 2? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. This is the city, the capital city where the temple of God and the presence of God dwelt. It's emblematic and symbolizes the people of God who wanted to come to worship God. The people of Jerusalem, they hear the word of comfort and then their voice is the last voice that cries out in verse 9. It says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. See, the people who hear and receive the voice of comfort from the mercy of God and allow it to saturate deep into their soul are then able to be a source of hope to others who themselves are in distress and anguish and the pain of sins so that the comfort that they have received from God, others themselves can receive from God. Are you able to be a voice of hope and comfort to others who are in the distress of sin. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if this this is true. It may be more of a, a legend, but I did a lot of reading and study in my university years of Charles Spurgeon. My mom bought me this ten volume set of like all of his sermons, and I really admired this preacher who lived in a couple centuries ago in England and was really well known for preaching the gospel. I got to go on a mission trip to Romania many years ago, and we had a layover in London on my way back. And it was a long layover. It was like 24, 30 hours, something like that. And I really wanted to go see the uh, church that he, uh, that he pastored at. And it might be a legend, it may not be true, but I heard that in the seminary that he led, that there may have been like a requirement like um, in, for admissions, that if you were going to be admitted into the seminary, you wouldn't be admitted in unless you had a certain chest diameter. And the reason being, apparently, if it's true, was because back in the day, they didn't have these things. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have amplification. So if you're going to actually project your voice, you needed to be able to have like a windpipe and lungs to actually project your voice. But when I went to his uh, church uh, in London, I noticed something about the construction of that building that I've seen in other old churches themselves. In a, maybe a more modernly uh, designed church building, because of amplification, the walls in the building are designed with acoustic dampening. Because if you have microphones, you don't want things, sound to bounce off of the walls. You want the sound to be dampened. But in older churches, like in Spurgeon's church, or maybe some of the older churches you've seen in Toronto, they're constructed with a height of ceiling and material of walls, not for sound dampening, but for sound reverberation. Because when they didn't have amplification, you wanted to be able to work together with the walls to be able to make the sound go as far and as wide as possible. Has the message of God's mercy resonated into your heart and into your soul so that you are so well comforted by God that it reverberates 
out into the souls of others who need to hear it as well. When Jerusalem heard the tender comfort of God, they were to call out to other people with two hope uh, aspects of the hope of the tender comfort of God. Look at verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord Yahweh comes with might. His arm rules for him. His, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense for him. They were to call out with hope to other people that you could find tender comfort in the hope that God is your king. They told the other people, look, we, we were taken into exile. Another country came and they took our treasures away. But God is going to be a conquering king. He's going to come back. He's going to restore us. He's going to bring us back. God won't be to you a judge. God won't be to you a creditor. God won't be to you an enemy. God will be to you a protecting king. I believe that. And when you do too, you can have this hope. The next thing that they were to call out to in verse 11 was the hope of the tender comfort of God as shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Look at the, the, the gentleness, the affection that you see of a shepherd here. The shepherd holds lambs in his arm. Nearness. Warmth carries them in his bosom, close to the heart. Gently leads those that are with young, the vulnerable, the weak. He protects them and leads them at a pace that they can follow along. Take comfort. God's tender comfort is secured in his great mercy. God is a shepherd, God is a king. Church, doesn't this sound like Jesus? He is the conquering king who defeated the enemy of sin through his own death and resurrection. And he is the one who will bring us liberty when he finally comes and restores his promised and eternal kingdom. He is the good shepherd that leads us by green pastures and by still waters. And when we are near to him, and life of holiness, sustained by the humility that relies on his word, we then can resound and reverberate this hope to others. Who is it in your circle that needs to hear this hope today? Who can God use you? Who, to whom can God use you to show his tender comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by. Church, believe that if you are in Christ, the Lord no longer looks at you as an enemy or as a criminal, or as one who is in debt. Because of the mercy of Jesus, that is not who you are. You are a beloved saint of God. And even though we still continue to make foolish choices, and we feel the pain and distress of our own sin, God's tender comfort is secured in his great mercy. If you believe this, 
then resolve that you will choose to be holy, sustained through a humility that relies on his word. And as it resonates in your heart, let it reverberate with hope to others who need it themselves. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, thank you dearly for the hope that we have in the mercy of Christ. God, even this past week, I felt the distressing pain of my own sin. I felt that I was cold from you. I felt that I was distant to you, but I thank you that when you disciplined me with conviction by your Holy Spirit, even though when I stubbornly didn't want to turn back, you kept prodding me. You didn't abandon me. Thank you, Lord God, that your mercy is secure. Lord God, I pray that we would behold your comfort, the tenderness in it, secured in your mercy. I pray that we would be a people who choose holiness, that we would not be foolishly stubborn, that we would not uh, be negligent to the conviction that you give us, but that we would repent. God, I pray that we would humble, not relying on ourselves, but relying on your word. And God, I pray that as your tender comfort resonates into our own heart, would it reverberate into the lives of others. That we all, Lord God, rejoice in the great comfort that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.